Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the Parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am your host, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I've been the deputy site manager and minor league editor for quite some time at this point, and you can follow me over my over on Twitter as well, at Leprechaun with a K, where I'm ranting about minor and major league baseball for the most part. Joining me this evening, there's only one other host on this podcast, so we're going to be kind of being able to go deep here. Uh, Matt Powers is here with me. You can follow him at on Twitter at MattPowers31. He also writes and helps cover the minor leagues over on Talking Chop. Uh, Garrett was planning to attend uh, this this evening, but his laptop decided to explode, which means that we've now had two members of our of our uh, co-hosting team have had technical difficulties over the past year involving major uh, technical failures. And then Garav is actually out of town for well, – he's at the Masters right now uh, with his job. Uh, by the way, big shouts out – shouts for prize picks uh, where Garav is now currently employed and he's actually having a lot of fun with it. I am assuming he is in some hijinks with John Daly. Uh, Matt and I were talking about that beforehand. What's the over-under that he's like, you know, either like in some sort of like altercation with Daly or – like is actually somewhere partying with Daly right now. What do you think? I would not even think that there's any chance of an altercation between those two, but I'd go 50-50 on an over-under on them partying right now. Yeah, I know he was at the Hooters, and that's where kind of Daly yeah. sits. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, mean I, don't, I don't know. I think I mean, that was definitely I, the plan. I, I definitely think there's a non-zero chance that, like, you know, we're going to hear a story about, like, this is why John Daly hates me now or something like that. Mm. But, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll save that version of the hangover movies between Garav and Garrett. There's there's not going to be the, actually it was a really calm work, work trip. And, you know, I had a lot of fun and got a lot of work done. It's going to be like, so this is what, so this is how I've been banned from the city of Augusta. (laughs) So, uh, but it's only going to be Matt and I this week. And what we decided to do this week is because there's only, we have a really limited amount of, uh, minor league information available to us. Uh, I didn't want to bring a guest on and only talk about like two weeks of like, you know, even less than that, two weeks of games um, yeah, and prospects and things like that. There will be a guest next week. Uh, I have a a couple in mind and we'll kind of see which one, you know, either is more available than others and things like that. But there will be an, a, a guest that is not a normal part of the team and that will be a lot of fun. Um, but we have a few things to talk about here, Matt. So normally this is a, this is a minor league podcast and we focus on the minor leagues, but Something pretty very weird happened in the major league world with a guy that we have uh 
that, that, that really kind of caught all of our eyes in a very weird way. Uh, Ozzie Albies for the Atlanta Braves signed an extension today. We're, Ozzie was kind of known to be the probably the next guy that was going to get an extension based on kind of how things have been going. Uh, and it was a seven-year extension. That period of time doesn't really raise any eyebrows. That's kind of what you'd want. Get a couple of those free agent years, et cetera, et cetera. But $35 million is all he got. Matt, when you when you saw this guy come across, what were your initial thoughts there? I thought that it was fake at first. I yeah, I thought it was a typo. Yeah, I thought there was either bad information, there was a typo, or this was just totally made up. This The numbers just do not fit what you think a player of his stature could get. I mean, this guy is already an all-star at his young age. I mean, you really cannot ask for better production. I mean, he wasn't great in the second half last year. He's got some platoon splits, but considering his age right now and the fact he's already got an all-star under his belt and the fact he's hitting this year and what uh, Kingery from the Phillies got last year before he ever played a single big league game at this point was already comparable to what our all-star second baseman got after playing a couple hundred games in the big leagues at this point. It's definitely a bizarre signing. Yeah, it was funny. Like initially today, it was announced that there was the extension was coming, and we were kind of like spitballing like numbers in kind of the the talking chop slack room. And I guessed around sixty million. Some were saying maybe sixty five, seventy. Some were maybe a little bit less. It was, but we we're all kind of the same ideas. Like it will be less than the Acuna extension because it, we just didn't think he was gonna get the same number of years and you know all that stuff. But around sixty 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 million dollars was a rough guess. That was that was what mine was. When I saw thirty five million, I thought there was a typo. I thought that there was clearly something else going on. Maybe that the option years were more were significantly more expensive. Even if they pick up their options, that's a nine year forty five million dollar deal. And I don't understand. What like I mean let me rephrase. Let's get this out of the way. Obviously, this is a great deal for the Braves. They do this deal a hundred times out of a hundred. Even when you try to, you know, people are trying to explain like, you know, the teams are the one assuming the financial risk, and he's just still a young player. Every when every team would sign that deal, and virtually every national writer that covers baseball, with the, like the notable exception of John Heyman, whose sole mission in life is to just be a contrarian and be a, a, a spokesman for Scott Boris, <laughs> is saying, wow, this deal... I mean, it's not that... No one's saying that Ozzy's dumb. No one's saying anything like that, like questioning his intelligence. They're asking, how did this happen and why did he sign it? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. There's the thread of the work stoppage coming up. Obviously, Ozzy wants to stay with the Braves... You know, and if there is going to be a work stoppage, he kind of wants to make sure that he has money up front to where he can, you know, maybe maybe a little bit more money to where he could be able to afford to get through such a thing. Because that seems where it seems like where all these extensions are coming from. There's a lot of angst about both going into free agency period and kind of, you know, once the CBA comes up, I, I don't think there's, I don't think it's going to be a very amicable negotiation process. And if that's the case. And if there's like thoughts of maybe, you know, what could happen in arbitration un uncertainty and things like that. Maybe he just takes a chance that, you know, he's like, I'll go ahead and sign this now. And then, you know, once the new CBA is in place, we'll, you know, everything else can be figured out from there. But it, I, it was wild. I mean, don't get me wrong. Very happy for the Braves. I, I want to see Ozzy play baseball forever. Uh, him and Acuna are among my favorite players just to watch play baseball. Uh, oddly enough, uh, as we were, you know, getting ready to start recording, Ronald Acuna hit another home run tonight. 
so he has a home run and a triple tonight. So he's he's still pretty good as it turns out. Um, I have know. completely missed both of those as I was out at a minor league game tonight, and wow. Yeah, he's you know he's just, he's just insane. Just, when he when he gets hot, he just does not stop hitting. Yeah, Peter Alonso also hit a home run that I'm not sure has landed yet, and if it did land, it's made permanent damage to SunTrust Park. It was a blast, like 118 miles an hour to dead center, like 450 feet. It was it was it was a brutal one. Uh, but 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 since this is a minor league podcast, I mean, like, I do want to mention we we've been covering Ozzy for a long time from his time in the minors up until now. Is this kind of the player you thought he was going to be when he came out? I mean, he there's definitely some things that surprised me a little bit. I didn't expect this. I expected him to probably hit for a little bit better. I mean, obviously, he's hitting for a better average than is sustainable right now. I mean, nobody's, what's he hitting? Something around 360 or so at this point. I mean, that's not sustainable for almost anyone for the course of a year. But I was expecting him to hit for a higher average than what we've seen in his first couple of years. And while I did eventually see some power, probably around our trip to Orlando in 2017 when he really started to hit some home runs, not because he has a ton of power, just because his contact tool is so good, kind of like a Jose Altuve. But I was thinking better average than this and maybe a little bit less power than what he's shown, even though I was probably more optimistic on the power than most. Yeah, I've... I've, I've known that he's very strong for someone of his size. Uh, I briefly met him when he was in the minor leagues one time, and I did get to shake his hand, and it was like shaking hands with a bear. He's a strong, strong dude. And so, you know, that kind of makes you think that maybe he's not just, you know, this, like a, only a slap hitter. And it turns out he hasn't been, but I, you know, the power surge from the first half last year, I don't think we're going to see that again. I think that just kind of, that also made his approach and his swing, uh, do some things that didn't serve him well last year. And I like this version of Ozzy that, you know, he can turn on a ball, you know, especially if, you know, if you leave one fat over the middle, he'll, he can yank it. But at the same time, he's not going to be the guy that's like going to be hitting, you know, a bunch of home runs or anything like that. He'll have some power. He'll get a bunch of extra bases because he's so fast. Uh, but I like the better approach. Um, and the, the, again, I, I'm kind of with you. I thought that the hit tool was going to play a little more to be, to begin the, his career. But at the same time, he was a rookie kind of figuring himself out. And, you know, if I was, if I hit like 18 home runs or whatever it was in the first half, I'd be swinging for the fences too, and it's it's interesting when watching him develop, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it because again he's so fun to watch. He's a big high you know high energy guy, and you know is he a flawed player? Sure, but he's also improving in front of our eyes, and he's really fun to watch. Had a high reel, highlight reel to play tonight uh, at second base where he you know I think maybe a regular sized you know second baseman wouldn't have had to jump as high for this line or line drive that he had to jump for but he he pulled it down and everything was fine and it was a, again it just he's a really fun player to watch mm-hmm. um, and i mean what player outside of the mike trouts and maybe a ronald Acuna, what player isn't flawed in some way oh yeah i mean everyone has something you know has has their own stuff that kind of makes you go oh yeah right that's 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 something that maybe he doesn't do particularly well and, you know, Ozzy does a lot of things well, a lot of them. You know, he, again, not the perfect player, but a player that's the Braves should be excited to have on their team, and frankly, they're criminally underpaying him, but 
Uh, I'm happy. For, I'm happy to have him in the fold for a long time. And you know, who knows? Maybe they down the road he's overperforms his contract and they rip it up and they you know try to send him to a, sign him to a longer extension that will maybe pay him a little bit better. It's, you know, very similar to how they did with Mike Trout and we've seen in other situations too. So we'll see if it happens. But for now, you know, this is the deal. And I am. I wish he would. I honestly wish he was getting paid more because. I don't necessarily want there to be any resentment over, you know, the terms of a contract or something like that. But the bigger question is whether the Braves are going to snap. Now that they, now that they have all the, a, a lot of the uncertain variables regarding arbitration for these young, a couple of these young guys, it's going to be interesting to see one if they decide to try to extend Dansby now, uh, especially with his hot streak and wh- how much they currently value him at. Because again, you're kind of evaluating c- what you think he is right now versus what he's done in the past, which hasn't been always so great. And two, whether or not they're going to use this now, this like not only financial flexibility, which is just kind of a joke of a term now, but kind of there's financial certainty because they know that they're not going to have to worry about arbitration costs and things like that for some of these young guys. And that, that's going to be an, an interesting development. And, you know, whenever I posed that question on Twitter earlier today, I just got a whole, a bunch of hilarious no's and people being angry about Liberty Media, but, It'll be interesting. Um, before we the the way this podcast is going to be structured, by the way, it's going to be a bit of a mailbag. We got, we took some questions off Twitter, and before we get into that, we're going to do one piece of news, and then we're going to kind of run down the top performers from the last week week or so, um, or at least the early part of the minor league season. Matt, you and I are upset about something. Very upset. Baseball America announced today. We we kind of known that minor league baseball was cracking down on the usage of. Uh, highlight videos, and it was specifically put out that they didn't want teams putting out highlights, or at least not doing so before they ran them through like minor league baseball first. It was weird because you know at first it was like you know they don't want teams putting out highlights, and then MILB put out this thing saying you know like no that's not necessarily what we mean. We just want to have it more structured as terms of like where those highlights are going to be posted from and stuff like that. Uh, and I thought that was kind of the end of it, but then Baseball America announced today that they were asked by minor league baseball to turn on. Uh, to take down all coverage from minor league baseball games off their website. I, I, I don't even know what to say. There have been times where there have been up until the last, I don't know, maybe seven years, the coverage of like the minor leagues and prospects was so incredibly bad beyond what baseball America has been doing for like three decades. And they've been partners with the league. They've like, they've, they've, they've been partnered on shows with MLB Network. They've like, they've done work with, you know, major league prospect, like licensed products with tops and, you know, doing baseball card stuff. Like them in the league, they've worked well together on the draft and doing everything else. They've done everything they can to promote amateur baseball and minor league baseball and to treat them like this and to say, sorry, we need you to take down all this content because that's our copyrighted content and you can't use it anymore is frankly an embarrassment. And they should be embarrassed. And I kind of went off on Twitter a little bit about it. And I hope that all of our listeners will take the time to tweet at MILB and at MLB Advanced Media and say that this was a really big mistake. I mean, Baseball America is the most respected organization that you could possibly think of when it comes to baseball below the major league level. There's nothing out there that's a better quality, that's got a better reputation that does better work than them. Not just that. I mean, every guy that I've ever interacted with that has worked there has been nothing but a positive interaction. I've never had one negative interaction with any BA employee at any point. Uh, So for them to suddenly 
turn on them of all, of all organizations. It, it really does not have an explanation behind it. And on top of that, BA doesn't really need the game footage to be able to have their product. Their product will be just fine with with or without the highlights included in them because their product is just that good. So it doesn't really hurt Baseball America overall. But what it does hurt is the minor league teams, the minor league players. I mean, those guys are not getting paid much right now. Those teams, for the most part, are struggling to fill stadiums, trying to drain trying to draw up some interest instead of trying to drain the budget, just hoping that you can fill some seats. It hurts the major league teams because you see less of these players before they reach the big league level if this actually does go on as what they're planning to do right now. It doesn't hurt Baseball America, but it hurts those that they're trying to make a misguided attempt at protecting. See, this is the marketing pro- problem that Major League Baseball has. It's, it's this desperate attempts to control the distribution of their product, and it's just not the way to go about things because one, they're not very good at it, right? Like Definitely. I don't, I'm, like I have never been inspired by what MLB, MLB or MILB has done in terms of like making sure that information is getting out there in an interesting and compelling way, in a timely way. They've just not going to do a job of it. And the place, and there are people who are willing to go. Hey, I was just at tag this minor league team's game, and this guy did this, and it gets a bunch of views, it gets a bunch of retweets. That does not do anything to hurt the overall. Co- overall of your product because people are the people who are going to get MILB TV are still going to be the same people that get MILB TV and what you are doing is bringing more attention to the really fun things that are happening in the, at the minor league level and trying attempting to control that in a really heavy-handed sort of way isn't going to work and one thing we're having to kind of struggle with is whether or not we can post any clips of when we're at games, you know, we're going to be using probably using our phone or a GoPro just to kind of get some quick game footage to be able to, you know, do the work that we do and maybe post here and there. But we're really struggling with what, how we're going to handle it because again, we've seen it's not this isn't the first time something like this has happened. I mean, we saw we saw advanced MLB advanced media go after Rob Friedman, who, who uh, pitching ninja on Twitter, where he just posts these great clips of when he's breaking down how pitchers are pitching and. I just don't think they fundamentally understand that just because they will have control over their product means that they will get more out of that product because they're not capable of utilizing that product in a way that a lot of other people are. And doing so in an organic way, it, a lot of times it comes across as fake, and a lot of times they don't do it right or they're not they don't have the right people in place or they're you know it's just like just to put it bluntly, you were just at Vladdy Jr.'s first uh, AAA start for this uh, game for this year, right? How many yeah. people were How many people were in that stadium? Very few. I mean, it was maybe 30 degrees on top of a mountain with wind. It was the home opener for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. The stands, I mean, I have some videos up on Twitter, and you could see the stands are basically empty. There were more people in the concourse than that were in the stands, but it was empty for Vladdy and Bichette and everyone. I mean, and that's one of, the, and that's the top MLB prospect. Now, granted, weather is going to play a factor in some of this, of course. But, and you know, by the way, please don't take down Matt's Twitter account. <laughs> don't do, don't, don't, don't do that. He was, he was, he streamed a couple of at bats, but you know, including <laughs> a monster <laughs> homer. Yeah, he, yeah, he did hit one that might land in Europe somewhere. But you know, this is kind of what we're talking about. Like, it's a real, it's 
the, we want to be able to cover these guys. We want to be able to show these off these guys. And we've been doing this for years. Like this is what my, this is my fifth season now. And you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to like monetize gifts of Mike Soroka throwing breaking balls and making people, you know, it's just spreading the knowledge and spreading awareness of what these young guys are doing in the minor leagues. And you're doing a disservice not only to those players, but you're doing a disservice to an organization that has done nothing but help the marketability and the visibility of the players that are shaping the league right now. And honestly, they, the, minor league baseball should be ashamed. Um, and, and it's just that's, that's all I really have to say about it. And I think the Vladdy Jr. story from tonight is a perfect example. Obviously, I don't really cover the Blue Jays on a significant basis, so I don't have many Blue Jays-specific followers. But it got picked up by a bunch of Blue Jays fans and some uh, Buffalo and uh, Toronto writers. And I definitely noticed some interactions with Blue Jays fans. Obviously, those guys do not have a very good team on the field right now in Toronto. They don't really have much to look forward to at the big league level. But a guy like Vladi hitting a home run in the minor league game or Bobachette doing something nice, that gives them something to look forward to, something to enjoy watching, something that makes losing right now 100 games maybe a little more tolerable when you know that better times are coming and you can just see it in front of your face. It did that the same thing for us when we had Acuna and Albies and everyone down on the farm before things started to get better. And the sh- the thing is, is like if you want, if they wanted to target people like you know just random users or even folks who like were only credentialed at the minor league level where maybe we're not credentialed at the major league level, if that was kind of what they wanted to target, I would have strong issue with it. But it would be a little more understandable. Baseball America is credentialed everywhere. Everyone wants them to come to their games because it gives their teams visibility. It gives their guys visibility. They want they want their guys written up. They want their guys to have their videos on on Baseball America and broken down because these guys are the best of the best. They are like that. That's who you want there. And if you wanted to come after you know just every you know person who wants to create like a paid subscription where you can like, look at these videos that I took all you have to do is pay a dollar to watch them or whatever i i could understand that but that the the really heavy-handed stuff and dealing with an organization like baseball america it it really rubs me the wrong way and i i sincerely hope they rethink it um we we could really go down that rabbit hole for a long time because it really really upset me but um to to say that we support baseball america is a bit of an understatement. All of you should just go get Baseball America subscriptions right now, if for no other reasons. That if you're listening to us, that means you like minor league baseball. Those guys have been doing it forever, and they do it. They do a tremendous amount of work. We rely on them quite a bit. We we do the best we can with the information that we can get and getting to games, and you know from the contacts that we have within organizations and with players and things like that. But you know, a resource like them is invaluable, and it's not a, it's not an expensive subscription. You know, ten dollars a month, and you get so much content from college baseball to the draft to international coverage to the minor leagues. They they have everything that you could want, and these are the people you want to kind of support. You really want to try to support because they make one. They give us something like the standard by which we would hope to try to achieve, and we're not anywhere close to them. And hopefully, you know, please just take the time to subscribe to them, support them, because I don't think today was a particularly fun day for them. And they're folks that we really we really couldn't support anymore. So, okay, enough of all that. Enough of us ranting about, you know, minor league baseball's politics and how they're choosing to 
implement themselves. And we didn't even get into the new MILB app, which is awful. It's genuinely bad, but there's Mm -hmm. that's a a short conversation. It's awful. I know. I'm sorry. Just use the one that's on your desktop and it's marginally better and easier to navigate, but it's still not great. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. yes, the, the, yes, the app is quite bad. And the, my understanding is that they're trying to restore some functionality where you can actually get to box scores without having to do like some crazy into rounds, which by the way, the day before they had their, their videos yanked down, who was explaining how to use those workarounds on the app so you could use it? JJ Cooper, Baseball America. Yep. Thank <laughs> Yep. It was a nice thank you, uh, to, to, to those guys by forcing them to yank down all their, uh, minor league videos. Anyway. Let's talk about some baseball players. Uh, I actually looked at the list of guys from Rome that were performing well to start the year, and I'm like, yep, we're going to get Matt to talk about these guys because they're the ones, some of the guys that you actually really like. So talk to me about Justin Dean and Andrew Moritz. These guys are exciting. They're Both of them were sleepers in a different way. Obviously, Dean came from a very small school. He's not a very big guy. He was a late-round pick. Moritz was not such a late-round pick. But he was basically a smaller school guy, and he was a former walk-on who just worked his way into becoming a great, pure hitter at the college level and set all kinds of records at his school. And these guys, I mean, they have different skill sets. Moritz is more speed, defense, hit. Dean is a pretty well-rounded player who could do a little bit of everything. He doesn't really have a big carrying tool, but... When you do everything and don't really have a big hole in your game, it just makes you a well-rounded player, a potential third or fourth outfielder. I'm gonna disagree with you on a couple on, on a couple things. Well, obviously, these guys are doing really well. I mean, Justin Dean coming into the tonight's game, he like started the season off with an inside the park home run, has a like a 9.30 OPS through six through six games, and he had a you know, and he you know scored from first on a double earlier. I think his carrying tools is speed. I think he is the speed guy, and I, you know, again, I want to kind of get a better look, and I know that our own Wayne Cavati was at that Rome game, and he's going to have kind of write up, so we have a better sense of kind of what we're working with numbers wise, and maybe getting some hope. Well, you know, having some video that we can look at, and then we can relay the information to you since we can't post them. Um, but uh, Dean was Dean's been really impressive. He's actually the guy I, I like a lot, and yeah, and he's also a really funny and nice guy. Um, Moritz is interesting because obviously he's batting close to like 400 right now, so I can't like ignore him. But it's it, it's a lot of singles, and I I'm really wary of these types of prospects because obviously there's a hit tool, right? I, I'm not there's no denying that 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 exists. He has a hit tool, but he seems so light on power that I wonder how well he is going to perform in upper levels without being able to produce more ex, like extra base power and stuff like that. It's still really early. So and like it like you know he ha- he hit for extra bases in college and things like that so it's not like that didn't happen, uh, but so far right now it's been a lot of kind of like you know just get getting on base and getting singles and drive and scoring runs which again, and he's uh, he, and he's a really good defender I, I will say that so there's there's definitely he has that going for him, uh, maybe he has that pro- profile as like you know a leadoff or a, a leadoff hitter or a, like a two hole hitter or something like that but you know of the two right now I'm a lot more excited about Dean. And Dean is probably the guy I'm more excited about as well. I think his speed right now is plus, but I don't think it's going to remain plus as he matures. I think it's going to be above average, so I don't really see that as a carrying tool going forward as much as it is right now. And uh, I'm not going to say the name, but I, I've talked to somebody with a 
team, and they have made the comment that Dean is a very strong possibility of being a future big leaguer. I mean, he might not be a guy that most people know, but he's definitely a guy that those within the game know and are watching right now. He has quickly made a name for himself since signing last June. And as for Moritz, I mean, this is basically the way he played in college. His batting averages at UNC Greensboro in his three years were 400, 392, and 428. And in a total of 154 games there, he had 23 doubles, uh, 26 doubles, 23 triples, and 10 home runs, including some inside the Parkers as well. I mean, there's not really much extra base power. He's mostly a singles hitter who's going to just make contact and use his legs to get on base. But he makes contact at a very, very high level. I mean, and there's a val- and there's value in that for sure. And if it continues to play, I mean, look, I mean, there there are weird unicorn prospects that make it work, right? But studio, it's, it's, well, yeah. <laughs> well, God, I hope he doesn't run like him. Um, but, <laughs> No, and, and Moritz isn't like him. I mean, like there has not been a pitch that a studio hasn't <laughs> that hasn't liked. I mean, he's not he's not quite that bad. But um, anyway, let's we're, we're gonna try to work through these so we can answer some questions towards the end of this. Uh, in high A, we have Riley Delgado, uh, again a guy that we've been talking about quite a bit. Uh, he has an 8.58 OPS so far. All the guy does is just keep hitting. Uh, Jaciel De La Cruz was awesome tonight. He he got up to 70 pitches and like was pitched like a four and a third. He uh, struck out I think nine batters. Am I, am, I, am I reading that right? I can't really double check and make sure I'm not losing my mind on that. I've uh, been talking about start- him since our Orlando trip back in 2017. I he had one big start there, um, not what not in front of us, but I believe he was in Danville at the time while we were in the GCL in Florida, and he just lit everyone up. He, I don't think he up any runs for a long time, had a lot of strikeouts and great reports of what his velocity and stuff looked like, and ever since then, he's been firmly on my radar. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he did pitch four and a third tonight, uh, got the 71 pitches, I assume just from like, you know, they they just wanted to keep his workload under 75 pitches early on in the season. Uh, gave up seven hits, no runs, no walks. Of the 13 outs he recorded tonight, nine strikeouts. That 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 that, help, that makes me feel at least a little hopeful that he's uh, his, you know some of the issues they had with his shoulder uh, last year are 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 beyond him and are no longer an issue. So again, we'll see. Cross fingers, uh, but he's a he's a guy that we're that we're watching closely. Um, William Contreras, you know, kind of quietly has a, an 8.94 OPS down up down there in Florida. You know, he had a home run earlier. This week, and he's just keeps hitting, and you know you'll get depending on which pitchers you talk to, and you know which guys you talk to, the the catching ranges from raw, but you know you can see it working out to him being advanced for his age. So, you know he's doing really well. And Husker, let's not forget that he's doing this as still a very young prospect for his age, and he's doing this in a very pitcher friendly league in the Florida State League. So that needs to be accounted for in there. That 894 OPS, even though it's a very small sample size, is more impressive than, let's say, an 894 OPS in the California League or the Carolina League. Well, well, especially the California League. The ball jumps well, yeah. out there. I mean, I mean, like, I mean, I'm I'm not sure what my OPS would be in the California League, but I mean, it would be significantly higher than it should be. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could hit some pop ups that might find some holes out there, whereas you know wouldn't necessarily work out in the Southern League or in, in the Florida State League or you know some of these other parks that you know are just these vast expanses of humid death. 
Um, uh, Husker Inoa has given up one earned run in seven innings so far this year with 10 strikeouts. Pitching really well. He's on the 40-man roster. I don't expect him to stay in Florida for very long. Uh, he's kind of one of the guys that's going to get moved up as a lot of this kind of shuffling of the pitching rosters is going to end up happening once, you know, some of these guys in Gwinnett gets healthy and that they move up to the major leagues and, you know, some other hard decisions are going to be made. So, um, anyone else that, anyone else at Florida or Rome before, like that has really kind of stood out for you before we move on to double A? I wouldn't say anyone else has really stood out so far. I mean, I was excited to see AJ Graffinino, but obviously he hasn't been playing. Darling Florentino has not done a lot, which is to be expected at his young age. But I mean, it's like watching John Daly up there. It's every single swing. It's just grip it and rip it. He just swings <laughs> out of his shoes. It, 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 I really enjoyed watching him at that workout because again, like this, this is one of those guys that we're going to continue to keep eyes on just because of like physically, he just looks like he should be a like a big time baseball player, but we've seen guys with like, you know, great builds and great athletic builds, you know, it not work out. So it's not something that, you know, it's more of like a really deep sort of flyer. But whenever I saw him and I realized it was him and it was at his age, I was like, well, what's it? He's worth keeping an eye on for sure. Um, so <laughs> let's move on to Mississippi. This one, two, three in this lineup of waters, Pache and CJ Alexander is some sort of good. Um, uh, Christian Pache, I believe, has a two-run triple tonight, and uh, that'll bring up his what's his batting average up to? This is some real tough. He's batting two eighty down there now. Yeah, he's one. He's one for two. Uh, Drew Waters has uh, a, a walk and a and a run scored and an RBI tonight. I mean, they're both just they're they're all just doing really excellent. Uh, before before the game started tonight, CJ Alexander was batting over three hundred. He went over three tonight. With a walk, so that brought his average down a bit because again we're only seven games in. But these three guys can hit, and I'm I'm actually a little bit surprised that they're not struggling more than they are right now. They, like it's it, that was a pretty big jump for all three of these guys. I mean, P- Pache even you know you had to wonder if he was going to struggle early, and he, they're doing great. I was especially expecting Waters to struggle early because I thought that was the biggest jump for him out of all three of them at this point in his career. Well, and since he's the youngest, yeah. And the least time as a professional as well. I mean, Pache was playing professionally while Waters was still in high school a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, so, friendly, friendly reminder, the Christian Pache and Drew Waters are functionally the same age. <laughs> so have, so it's kind of, but, but, but Pache has a lot more pro experience. But the thing I didn't expect, because everyone kind of thought that Drew Waters' bat was going to play more, and he has the better batting average right now. And, you know, he's definitely, Pache's definitely had some at-bats where he kind of looks a little rough at times, but I would have thought that Drew Waters was going to have more extra base hits than Pache, but, you know, again, you I would expect Pache to kind of continue to develop as a hitter, but it's Pache the ones with the big hits and, you know, kind of driving in the runs. Uh, they're not hitting home runs or anything, but he's not hitting home runs, but, you know, in that park, I'm surprised that anyone does. And, you know, has, has the two-run triple tonight, had a two-run double last night. I mean, it's Pache that's one that's kind of getting those kind of those extra base hits, so... But both, but look, we love all three of these guys. You know, I mean, let's not. I, I am kind of coming around to the idea that it's probably a better, a better bet to bet on Drew Waters between him and Pache. But it's really close, <laughs> and, and I really like both of them. And betting on Pache is 
not a, I don't think is a dumb bet at all. Um, Tucker Davidson, uh, had a, a scoreless outing. We're very happy to see, uh, Tucker have a strong start to the season. Uh, the four walks, not so great, but didn't give up a run and had, you know, had some, had four strikeouts in his first crack at, you know, professional baseball this, this year in 2019. So, you know, again, exciting to see him doing. Uh, Patrick Weigel didn't have a great, uh, return from injury, but he was on a really, really limited pitch count. Uh, had some command issues and hit that umpire strike zone didn't help him at all. He had some really close calls. Uh, when, you know, there's, there, when some people tweet about, you know, an umpire complain, complaining about an umpire, you, you kind of take it with a grain of salt because there's a little bit of homerism. But when Chris Harris from, from Mississippi says this strike zone was pretty tight and Weigel was not benefiting it from it all, uh, that, that it's worth noting because he's just not the kind of guy that would have complained about it. So, uh, that's kind of, and, you know, Ian Anderson, Seven strikeouts in his debut. He pitched tonight and uh, pitched reasonably well as all. He got got into the fifth inning, gave up a couple runs, struck out three batters, only gave up three hits. You know, again, just not not a crazy start. The first start was arguably better, but overall, you can't really complain about what that guy's doing in Double A either, considering that he's a really young pitcher too. You're right. Yeah. Anyone else down in Mississippi that's been kind of catching your eye before we before we move on? Nope. No, that's really it for Mississippi right now. The names that have been catching my eye are the names that we're about to talk about from Gwinnett, though. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit I'm a, I'm a little bit sad about Ditter batting 158 right now. I I really want his bat to play, but it just hasn't quite happened yet. It's early. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely really early. Uh, and uh, Connor Lean batting 154 and his line being uh, one for four with two strikeouts tonight is pretty much what we're expecting uh, from a guy that honestly uh, Garrett and I were really in love with when he was in high A, but it's the strikeout, you know, being strikeout prone is a real thing. And even though Connerly, I think is a really good defender and has some real pop in his bat, you have to make contact first. And that's unfortunate. All right. I'm going to let you talk about Mike Soroka first, because otherwise if I do it, we were going to run out of time. So <laughs> <laughs> this is also very true. So, I mean, this guy was just today named uh, by MLB.com as one of the five prospects to that could possibly help decide the NL East race. I mean, this guy, despite the fact that he seems to be overshadowed outside of Braves fans when people are talking about the pitching prospects because of the emergence of Tukey in the last year, because Kyle Wright has moved up, because Bryce Wilson has really raised his stock. I mean, Soroka is a little bit forgotten about by some that are not closely following the Brave system, but the way that he pitched in his first start back, I mean, he was perfect through five innings. You really cannot ask for more. He looked like the vintage Soroka pre-injury, just the kind of guy that you think is a future number two to a great playoff rotation. Yeah, I mean, look, when you go follow his first start, he has shoulder in, he has a shoulder injury. It's not a structural one, which kind of is the big red flag. You know, it's not like the the torn labrum, you know, rotator cuff, that sort of stuff. Where you go, is he ever going to come back and be anything close to the same pitcher? It was kind of like some weird puzzle, pulled muscles. Like one was like under his scapula, the other one was kind of more towards the top of the shoulder. You don't want to have a, ever have pitchers have shoulder issues, and that's why you're kind of seeing people sort of go, uh, yeah, we'll see if he can make it through a season. But before last season, he had zero injury issues at all. He was the definition of durable. And, you know, it wasn't like he hurt his shoulder. The second injury was just him weightlifting and pulling something. And does that stink when that happens? Absolutely. And, you know, he's going to have to earn back the trust of certainly some folks. But when 
he is on. He's one of the just the hardest guys to square up, not only because of his stuff, which is he is much better than he's given credit for, but also because he's just so smart and he prepares so well and understands what he does well and what he doesn't do well. You know, it's you know he he, he is a sinker. <laughs> slurvy breaking ball that he's unapologetically all but all unapologetically throws as a slurve. You know, if it's coming out of his hand in the, the mid eighties and has some real bite, it's more of a slider. Sometimes it's a little bit slower, but what, however it's working, he'll figure out quickly what it is and he'll figure out how to use it. Changeup's gotten a lot better. I'm just, I, I, I have gone on record as being very pro Soroka, and I'm not going to rant too much about that. Other than to say is that I, given that you know Bryce struggled struggling a little with the home run ball, it wasn't awesome for Gwinnett tonight. It wasn't terrible, but he wasn't he wasn't great. And kind of we have Kyle Wright, and we have these other guys who have kind of had middling success, and you have some other guys in the rotation that you know you wonder what they're going to do with long term. Soroka is going to get his shot, and with Freed kind of cementing himself in the rotation, we could see Soroka do the same thing relatively quickly, assuming he stays healthy, which is a reasonable thing to wonder about. Uh, and then we have Austin Riley, who had a two-home run game, and just all the guy does is just continue to, you know, just continue to perform. He has that home, he has that power, and when it shows up, it makes you feel it makes you feel really good inside, and then. Uh, what was? Let me look at Bryce Wilson's line from tonight. Yeah, he actually actually ended up going pretty poorly when he went gave up six runs. He must have given up those runs late. Um, with Corbin Klaus closing out that game in for two innings, which I'm a little surprised they actually ran him out there for that long. But um, Klaus is a guy that could end up being in the in the bullpen as well. Uh, a guy that I really like. Uh, Riley, not the great greatest night tonight. 0 for five with two strikeouts, but overall. Seems to be doing pretty well for himself in Gwinnett. Again, that 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 game brought his average down a bit, but he's showing power. He's getting on base. He's getting walks and things like that. Overall, I'm happy. Uh, what anyone from Gwinnett is really kind of catching your eye? No, I mean those are really the names that I wanted to talk about from Gwinnett at this point. Uh, Duvall has shown some flashes, as has spring training cult hero Pedro Florimon. Yeah, I refuse to believe in Pedro Florimon <laughs> at all. Uh, but I, I just want to keep the cult legend of Florimon spring alive. <laughs> that that walk off grand slam to end the season was hysterically funny, considering how many home runs that guy's hit in the major leagues. Is like been, he's been around forever. Uh, Rafael Ortega, by the way, is a center fielder uh, for Gwinnett. He's batting four forty right now, four fourteen rather. So you know another guy that's worth. And Andres Blanco, uh, second baseman, he went four for four tonight, brought his line way up. You're going to see these stat lines kind of fluctuate wildly. So Ortega was actually a fairly decent enough sized prospect. Maybe five, six, seven years ago from the Rockies. He never really did anything, but he has plenty of big league time under his belt at this point. Yeah, I think that they, the Braves don't have a shortage of options for their outfield right now. I was really a big fan of the lineup they ran out there against the Mets where, uh, where it didn't have Ender in it and it had, uh, Camargo in left field. Uh, it's not really working out well for them tonight. They're down 6-3. Yeah, they actually just, they locked, it's the final score now. They lost 6-3, but you know, Ronald Cooney did his thing, and it's hard to be super upset about kind of where the Braves are right now. I don't necessarily see Ortega as getting a chance if, unless something kind of crazy happens injury wise. But you know, again, something someone is kind of to monitor. Uh, so those are kind of the, the the top performers that we have right now. There's other guys that have performed really well. 
we promise we're we're keeping track of all we're keeping track of all these guys and you know as things become more and more apparent Hayden Deal was another guy for example we didn't talk about uh down in high A who had a really good first start um he's a guy that we're do not be surprised if Hayden Deal is in our top 30 for midseason because I really do think this guy can can pitch. Uh, I kind of wanted to wait and see how he did against some uh, older competition, some better competition, and if that first start was any indication, he could be jumping up, not just like you know just become number 30 on the top 30 or anything like that. He could jump up a little bit more because the Braves really like him and they're they're willing to move him up and challenge him, and he's holding his own. So it's another guy that's kind of worth keeping in mind. Um, so with that, we'll get to the mailbag question mailbag portion of this and we've answered them these questions kind of uh and th- th- this is gonna be kind of a funny question to start off with uh dean eidson uh asked what is drew waters ceiling will he hit for power or will he be close to a marcakis kind of bat matt i'm gonna let you answer this one first he's got an all-star ceiling i don't think he's ever gonna be a true superstar but i think he's got an all-star ceiling and i i he's gonna hit for power I don't think he's going to be anything like Marcakis. One name that I'm kind of thinking of as a former center fielder, all-star, with some power, it's a well-rounded skill set, and I don't really love this comp, but it, it's something I can kind of see. Adam Jones. Yeah, that's not a crazy. That's not a crazy notion. I mean, like a you know, switch hitting Adam Jones. And the, the thing about the market, like I, I, one of the reasons I don't write comps at all is that one, I think that Waters is a has a his ceiling is much better than Marquez. But the big the biggest issue I have with calling it a Marquez type bat is simply because of Drew Waters has a real speed tool. I mean, it's not you know it's not eighty grade speed, but he's really he could be a leadoff guy. He could you know he can steal bases. He can he'll take for he'll go first to third. He'll score from second. He'll you know, he can impress with his legs, whereas I don't think even in prime Nick Marcakis was doing that. Uh, and I think he'll be better defensively than Marcakis too. It's just kind of, um, again, he's still young. You have to figure out exactly what's going to end up playing. The hit tools, ultimately, they're always going to be the biggest question for someone who's that young as he's going to continue to progress in the minors. So far, so good there. Uh, but I do think he'll hit for power, if for no other reason that, like, he has one of those frames that one looked like it would hold more strength to it and he's you can see that he's adding strength like he's he's bigger this year than he was last year but it's not like a gigantic increase and i could see him continuing to get bigger and stronger and ultimately being able to lock into some more power because he hits the ball hard and i, I could i could mm-hmm. definitely see some power for him um but short answer is i don't think don't think of it like a nick marcakis type situation Obviously, there's risk, but at the same time, think of a guy that has more. His ceiling is he's an all-star player. His ceiling is an all-star player, but whether or not he gets there, it's a little bit debatable. Still a little bit early. We have to kind of see him more at Double A, kind of see how he continues. I mean, these Double A pitchers, they're they're keying in on these top prospects to figure out how to get him out, and we're going to hopefully be able to see kind of how he adjusts and if he can turn out to be even more productive than he already has been, and he's been pretty good so far. Uh, one whose name was actually anonymous. I, I didn't put everyone's Twitter name, Twitter handles on this, so I apologize. But who do you consider a sleeper prospect? Someone that could break through that we don't really think about. I mean, we already talked about Justin Dean. That seems like the big name, but I mean, what? Who else have you kind of got your eye on? Dean would have been the first name that came to my mind at this point. Uh, probably if I can't use him, Jeffrey Ramos. I like the power in his bat. Yeah, he's got some, he's got some thunder in his bat, and uh, again, the the pitcher I mentioned earlier, Hayden Deal. Uh, those are the he he's a guy that I really think I can pitch. If we're not talking about talking about guys who are on the current top thirty, 
uh, for us. That's where I would bet my money on is a guy like a Hayden Deal, a Justin Dean. You know, Jeffrey Ramos, I think, ended up being towards the end of our list, but I think, still think it's a very, very reasonable pick. I actually don't know if I put Ramos on my uh, – he was in my 30. He was really close. And, again, those are kind of guys that we really could see step out and, and, and do some damage. And there's going to be some other guys that are just going to go on tears and things like that. If you haven't heard the name Riley Delgado, like, for example, if you haven't read our list, then he's another guy that I think could really kind of start opening some eyes to as a really good fielder who also all he does is just hit even though he's not much power. Um, Brian Renfro asks, uh, we always talk about the AAA all-starters going to the big league bullpen, Tukey, Wilson, etc. but which of the AA starters is the strongest bullpen possibility? That's actually an interesting question. And I think this is actually a pretty obvious answer for me. And for me, it's Mueller, I think. I think Anderson is just too much of a starter to move to the pen. I mean, his value just relies on him being a starter. Somebody, if the Braves don't have a place for him, somebody's going to pay a premium to get him because his potential as a starter is that significant. I don't think Wentz has the stuff to really exceed in the bullpen type of role as much as the stuff that would play up but it still wouldn't be that high 90s heat that you'd like to get from your late-inning relievers, maybe even middle-inning relievers. His best work comes as a starter, really working around hitters and just using his pitch ability, and I think that is much more valuable in the rotation than it is out of the bullpen. But a guy like Muller, who throws hard, who's willing to attack a hitter, I think he's got everything that you need to succeed in the bullpen, even though I think he's got more value as a starter. I'm actually going to disagree with you on this one because, I mean, I, I think that you, I don't think that Mueller would be bad in the bullpen by any stretch of the imagination, but my two guys would be Tucker Davidson or Patrick Weigel. Weigel because he's being, his innings are being managed coming back and he could end up being in the bullpen and might end up there for a little while just because, you know, he's a guy that has that high 90s fastball, has that slider, and is a guy that I think would perform well in the bullpen. And Tucker Davidson was a bullpen guy before he got some converted to a starter at Rome. I think they really want to try him as a starter, if for no other reason. I don't think they would convert him in the middle of the Rome season the way they did if they didn't really believe in his stuff coming, you know, you know, down in Rome as a starter. But if I'm like betting on like one of the one of those guys in that Mississippi rotation uh, going to the bullpen, it's actually going to be one of those guys. Just because, if for no other reason, I really do think that Mueller has a shot to being a really good starter. Uh, and I th- in terms of likelihood, I think it's one of those two guys. I actually wasn't even thinking why go. I realize he's on the Mississippi roster, but I wasn't really considering him a part of Mississippi because he's obviously been at Gwinnett before. And if he wasn't working his way back, I believe that's the level that he would belong on. So I was really considering him to be a true part of that Mississippi rotation. But I think he would also be a very good reliever going forward as well. Yeah, it's kind of hard to evaluate just because there's clearly, like, there's this bit of a log jam. They just need to make sure they have spots for everybody to get to all the innings that they want. Weigel being, you know, they want to kind of continue to give him, you know, all the innings that he's going to need, and they just won't have that Gwinnett right now just because not only do they have all the guys that are, like, those top pitching prospects, like, you know, Tukey, Colby, Soroka, all those guys already there. They also have Fulty doing rehab assignments and all that other stuff. So it's kind of a weird situation, but if the current state of the rotation, those are where my bets are. Um, Matthew Dutton asks, 
who was the first guy from our current MILB system to make the MLB All-Star Game non-Gwinnett Shuttle Division? Eile, you can't can't include Tukey, Soroka, etc. I know you want to say Soroka. Well, no, you can't. You can't use the the shuttle. Like you can't use those no, guys. I, no, I know, but I know you want to say Soroka. Um, it, it's got to be one of the outfielders, I think, and. I'm going to go with Pache over Waters slightly. Uh, yeah, it's it's, def- it's a really tough one. You um, can flip a coin. Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to – here's the thing, right? I think that Austin Riley is going to get put on the Major League roster at some point. The problem is the position he plays is a really tough one to compete for all-star spots <laughs> because there's a lot of really good – Third baseman that I think would it would be hard for him to get there, so I think you're so I think that you either go that outfield route or you go the pitcher route, and so if we can't use the Gwinnett shuttle guys, so it's like no Bryce Wilson, no Kyle Wright, no Soroka, no Tukey, etc. Man, that's tough. I I I think I'm gonna say I think I'm gonna say Ian Anderson. I think that that's the that's I think that's the pick because. I feel like he's going to force his way onto a major league roster, and he has the stuff to kind of be one of those top 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 flight pitchers. But I think I might like your picks better. But I'm going to kind of I'm going to, I'm going to go to the pitching side, and I'll say Ian Anderson since I can't I can't use the Gwinnett shuttle guys, which is literally the entire Gwinnett ro- rotation, by the way. Yeah, I mean that, that's good. so if can't, can't if I can't use the Gwinnett guys, then uh, I will I'll say and with the understanding that I do like Austin Riley a lot. Uh, I think that the position he plays is tough to make an all-stars team because uh, there's a, there's some really good uh, third baseman in, in Major League Baseball right now in, in the National League. So that that's my bet, but with the notion that I could, in fact, be quite wrong. Um, Matthew asks, could we see an outfield of Acuna, Pache, and Waters next season? Ooh, next season. I'm just going to say no right now. The odds that Waters, I mean, he could be ready. Pache, too, but to be ready to actually start, just in general I'm talking, not with the Braves. I don't really think that's the best idea until maybe August or so of next season. I think that they could use that extra time in the minors because I do think that both guys have stuff to learn, and I think those extra at-bats in the minor leagues, considering how young both of those guys still are, despite the fact that they're already in AA right now, I think that's important. But then you have to factor in how good the Braves are. This is a competing team right now. This is a team in a very tough division that's going to compete to win the division, to possibly make a World Series and possibly even win the World Series. So you really can't afford to throw two very young guys into that lineup slash outfield at the same time right now. I mean, you you need that veteran guy. Maybe you break one in next year late next year and you start the other one the following year but I can't say based on when they'd be ready and the fact the Braves are going to be contending at that time barring some major injuries I can't see a way that they'd be able to all play together in the same outfield for any length of time next year Uh I actually don't necessarily agree with that just because for a couple reasons. One, if Nick Markakis ends this year with like a decent, you know, a decent offensive year, they're going to pick up his option. So that would make that problematic. I just, 
in my heart of hearts, I can't imagine that Nick Markakis, even if he pays plays the right field for the Braves the entirety of the 29th season, 2019 season, I don't see a world where he plays right field all of the 2020 season. I just don't. I mean, Father Time is undefeated. There's there's things that you see about Markakis' game that make you wonder, you know, that eventually this is going to come to an end. You know, his second half last year was pretty bad. And while he's had to, certainly had his moments this year so far, including that 5-for-5 five five game, I just don't see a world where that's going to happen. And then it comes down to what the Braves do with Ender Inciarte, because he's still under contract, but you know he's not been performing well at the plate. And he's a guy that you know is kind of finding himself both getting the ire of fans as kind of like a black hole in the lineup. And if Pache and Waters are both hitting, like defensively, Pache and Ender, I mean, Ender's... Ender has multiple gold gloves, so he's going to, you have to kind of give him the edge over Pache just because he's done it in the major leagues before. But Pache is very, 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 very capable in the outfield and could end up being a more high ceiling, uh, sort of defender than Ender is, even if maybe he doesn't end up performing quite as well, because we're talking about a pretty high bar with Ender. And then you have Drew Waters, who's a good, who's a good defender, can play right and has a better offensive ceiling than Marquecas. It just comes down to how well they perform this year, and I don't think it's a crazy notion that it happens. I don't think it'll start the season that way, because I think what will happen is either, if they if they want to move on from Marquecas, I think one of the things that they may do is they try to bring in someone that can hold down the fort until they're sure that Waters and Patre are ready. But I expect that as well. Yeah, so starting the season, I couldn't see that happen. But at some point in 2020, I don't think it's a crazy notion at all. And it would also be incredibly fun to watch because that might mean that Ronald Acuna Jr. is the worst defending defender, outfield defender that the Braves have. And that's a good problem to have because Acuna is not a bad outfielder defender, uh, even if some of the metrics didn't like him very much last year. Um, Tallahassee Brave asked us, do you think, <laughs> do you think Tiger can influence the minor league system? If so, please give us off your favorite meme. Uh, this meme has been hilarious. The, the, the Tiger Woods thing has been cracking me up. Uh, I'm not going to linger here too much other than to say that the favorite one I've seen so far is the one that was like the bull rider that's like kind of, you know, in the ring already and it has, uh, the, the team logo of the Rockies on it. And then out of nowhere, like this bull that has Tiger's face photoshopped on it busts out and nails him with the gate. This is probably my favorite so far. I have not seen that. I mean, I don't really. Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's it's high, it's it's hilarious. It's, I mean, I have to check that out. I guess I don't really do memes. I mean, you've seen. Yeah, he, I mean, Matt has a quiet appreciation, but that's pretty much as much as Matt does. Whereas I have been openly encouraging mass chaos on social media, and I embrace it. Um, uh, Freddie Gatto asks, uh, "What's uh, William Contreras' ETA to the show?" Uh, I'm, I would say at the earliest 2020, but even then I think that might be optimistic. 2021 seems more likely. Uh, what about for you, Matt? I completely agree. I mean, maybe he'll get some time next year at the end of the year just to get some at-bats and get him some time, maybe 15, 20 games at the end of the year, but I can't see him getting anything more than that next year. Yeah, and the tricky part is without September call-ups, you know, that, that, that whole system changed to where you can't carry as many guys now. Like that becomes that even that becomes less likely. So I, I still think. I mean, twenty twenty one. I am in big. I am really very much in favor of moving catchers slowly to kind of get a lot of reps, learning how to call games, you know, learning their position, and kind of making sure they get every everything's good to go. Because managing a pitching staff is no joke. Uh, Daniel Mack asks uh, the lack of talent at the lower levels has to be addressed. Do you think the front office will target young IFA players in trades? 
for surplus MLB ready pitching? Uh, uh it's really hard to say. I mean, obviously I do agree that the talent needs lack of talent needs to be addressed. The fact that they're basically not players on the international market for a very long period and they didn't have a first round pick last year, basically. And they're most likely going to be looking at some college guys this year who are not going to be in the low minors for very long. So you'd have to think, unless they hit on somebody later in the draft, like a maybe a C.J. Alexander type of 20th round pick or a, another Justin Dean, but a high school version of those guys, that you're going to need to bring somebody in by trade since you're most likely going to use the high picks on college guys. And depending on what's available, obviously, I don't think they're specifically going to target college guys as much as I think college guys are most likely going to be the best available at what's there when the Braves pick. I don't think that they're going to necessarily seek out intentionally, at least to start out, to get some of these very young prospects because as a contending team, you don't really do that. You try to improve your big league roster before you try to fill your minor league system. But at the same time, there's only so many pitching spots in the big leagues. There's only so many pitching spots in Gwinnett. And eventually some of these guys are going to lose value because they're going to stall out in their development because there's just no place for everyone to go. I mean, unless you plan to shuffle guy from Gwinnett to uh, Atlanta every couple of days just to rotate them into the rotations just to make sure everyone gets some big league starts and everyone gets their turn in the minor leagues, you have no other choice but to trade a couple of these guys, unfortunately. Yeah, the Braves are going to have to make some make some room, and ultimately, the I think that the low minor stuff. away, I think we could see in the draft is maybe they'll take a couple like the 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 for surefire like those those first round picks will be on guys they know they they could probably start, end up either getting to Rome early like right in their draft year, and then they would go on from that like you know to high A or you know something like that you know kind of like Tristan Beck did this year, et cetera, et cetera, um, but. That they might take some lottery pick type, uh, like project. Even, even college guys, if you, if you feel like you need to like make, you have to make some real wholesale changes to kind of how they do things. Like those are the kinds of guys you can put at Rome too. Guys that like, you know, those like fifth or sixth rounders that have like a big tool or a big fastball or something like that, but they'll need some more development and are really raw. I could see those guys going there. Um, I don't think as long as this draft goes well, even if that maybe the Rome roster isn't awesome, as long as they're continuing to bring talent into the system, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's when it filters up because what the the idea behind like the talent relative level in the at Rome is not very good. That means that there's like you know over time that filters up to the rest of the system, and all of a sudden the system isn't very good. As long as you're continually bringing guys in that have impact, if they're at high A or they're at double A. You know, as long as that pipeline is continuing, that's the important part. And what, and it'll be really interesting to see that now that's, you know, Brian Bridges and that a lot of that scouting department has been changed and is under, under new leadership, whether or not they're continuing to be able to do that. Because again, we like seeing, you know, those teenagers that kind of come up through Rome and take the normal progression. As long as you're continuing to bring talent into the system, even if it's new, but it's also in like high A or double A or whatever. 
as long as that's continuing to happen, it's harder this way to do it that way because you're kind of banking on challenging guys in their first, you know, first full season of, of pro ball and them actually rising to that challenge to actually get there. But I think that they'll be, I think that they'll be more success, successful than you would think under that model. Uh, one last question before we cut this thing off because it's already getting quite late and Matt's already, <laughs> Matt had game coverage. Uh, and I'm gonna have to do some other stuff to make sure that the, you know, the website runs properly. Uh, is from Roger W. Where is Darian Cruz? I actually have the answer to this question. He is currently in an extended spring. And, uh, he is a cautionary tale. We have seen the Braves be very successful in moving players aggressively and promoting them aggressively. And a lot of times it's worked out when we see, you know, what, what's happened with Mike Soroka, other prospects that have been kind of, you know, you, you move Austin Riley when they're young, you move Christian Pache, you move those guys up when they're young and it works out, but it doesn't always work out and it can have a negative effect on players. And in my opinion, that is what happened with Darian. He just wasn't ready for, for full season ball, had a really, really rough go of it in his first season at Rome. And I don't, there's still a chance for him to recover. He's still a really young player, and I think that you know physically he's very talented and is a kid that I like a lot. But you know, this is a reminder that you know developmental paths are not linear, and even if though a player is really talented, doesn't mean that they won't have their struggles. And Darian certainly had those. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate to see he was very highly thought of, got a very large bonus, has very loud tools. He just hasn't put it all together yet. And I mean, there's some reason to question if he ever really will put it all together, but there's talent there. Uh, I mean, there is definitely real talent there. And my, you know, the whispers you hear is that, you know, that first year in Rome, especially when he started having all the issues with errors and stuff like that, some of those games where he had bad games were in front of, you know, big time player development personnel. And that, didn't go very well and when you know as a player like he was and highly regarded and you know that the big wigs are coming there to see you and see how you're doing and then you have a really bad game and stuff like that that can really stick with you and it's a shame because i i'm he there we have a job that we have to do in terms of ranking prospects and kind of projecting guys and it's hard to project darian as much of anything right now but there's also very few players that i'm not rooting for more because I mean, at the end of the day, he's he was a, a kid that got promoted really early and needed, you know, and really needed to have some things changed and really needed to be coached up, and it didn't really happen in a way that was conducive to him developing into the player that we thought he could be. But that's not a knock on him at all. It's more of a this is hopefully, hopefully this time an extended and maybe under a different player development structure that he'll do significantly better. And we're, we're, we're all rooting for him here talking chop because, you know, several of us have interacted with him and he's a great kid and I really hope that he does well. With that guys, that's all the time we have for tonight. Uh, thank you so much for the continued support of talk, of talking chop and for the new, po- new podcast. Podcast is the, the road to Atlanta is doing extremely well under this new model. I was a little worried that moving over to the talking chop stream that people would forget, you know, kind of forget and wonder to know why we're not posting new episodes on the, under the old SoundCloud stuff. But this is really working out well for us. It's actually, now that I've figured it out, it's actually really straightforward and easy. And I've, we've been thoroughly enjoying doing it. It's nice being able to talk about minor league baseball again. I get to talk about, I get to talk to Matt. Grav and Garrett and all these guys all the time about minor league baseball. And this kind of gives you a window as kind of what our thinking is 
on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it's a little more PG-13 on the podcast than uh, sometimes what happens in our chat, but we still thoroughly enjoy it. We love talking baseball. We love talking about the minor leagues and prospects, and we want to share that to you with you guys as much as we can. And you guys have been super receptive of it and really excited to have us back, and we're we're incredibly thankful for that because this is – been a wild ride for us in terms of just going from some guys who liked following along in the minor leagues and, you know, really was a passion for us and turning that into a passion that we can share with all of you. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Make sure you read all of our work on Road Talking Chop or follow the, the Twitter account of the, for the podcast at Road, the number two Atlanta. Until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road.